You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. For those of you I haven't got a chance to meet, I'm Sean. I'm one of the elders and one of the preachers here. And uh, it's good to be together if you're joining us online. Uh, thanks for being with us. It's going to be a great morning today. Uh, we started last week, this three-week mini-series um, leading up to Easter. We celebrated Palm Sunday, or excuse me, Passover last week, Palm Sunday this week, and then, of course, Easter next week. And uh, this year we're not doing any uh, Good Friday service, and the reason why is because we did, in lieu of the Good Friday service, we did the uh, Easter Seder celebration a couple of nights ago. It was wonderful. I've never been to one of these before. I learned a ton, and... Um, I was actually surprised. It was actually a really worshipful experience for me. It was really cool. So if you hadn't had an opportunity to go, whenever you get an opportunity to go, you should. It was really, really neat. Um, I'm not sure if we'll be able to do it next year, but maybe the next two or three years we'll be able to bring it here. So anyway, that's why, we, why we're not having a Good Friday service. But we're in this mini-series. And I like mini-series around the holidays. Normally around Christmas, we'll do four or five weeks leading up to Christmas. And around Easter, three or so weeks leading up to Easter. And the reason why... Uh, I like them is because it's a good time for us to, to stop and remember and think about what is this season all about. Uh, Easter, I think, sometimes is a holiday that sneaks up on some of us because, um, you know, when it's Christmas time, you see lights on people's homes and there's decorations and all the radio stations are playing uh, Christmas music. Easter isn't really like that. And so for some of us, I think Easter can kind of uh, sneak up on us. And so it is really important for us to pause and to, and to remember. And so last week we paused and we remembered Passover with Jay's great sermon. If you haven't listened to it, you should. It helps us to kind of understand why Passover is important for us um, even today. Um, and this week we're going to look at a story uh, in the Bible that happened right during the time of the Passover celebration um, when Jesus was walking around on earth. And um, it's called Palm Sunday because there was palm branches involved, surprise, uh, so our goal today for, for us, my goal today for us is to just simply stop and to, and to remember because these events that happened a couple thousand years ago, they have great significance for our lives now, but also into the future. And my hope is that by stopping and be, by remembering, we will be motivated to move closer to Jesus, to worship him, to love him, to serve him, to follow him better and better and better with our lives so that we can bring him more glory and more honor. That's why we're here as humans, but also so that we can experience more joy and more satisfaction and more real life that he came to bring us. All right, so that's where we're going today. But before we dive into the text, we're going to be in John chapter 12. I kind of want to reset what's happening leading up to the events we're going to look at today so we kind of get context for what, what, where we're at. Um, Jesus has been doing his ministry. He's been teaching, preaching, healing, building relationships, um, serving, loving. That's what Jesus has been doing with the disciples. And his popularity has been growing and growing and growing. But with his popularity, opposition to Jesus has also been growing and growing and growing, particularly from this group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. It had been growing so much that they actually wanted to kill him. And so when you come to John chapter 11, which we'll study more in depth later in May next month, um, we read the story about this guy, Lazarus, who is one of Jesus' closest friends. Um, and Jesus goes to the area where Lazarus lived because Lazarus actually got really sick and he died. And so Jesus goes to this area of Bethany, which is where Lazarus lived. It's a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. 
And uh, Lazarus has been dead long enough that he's starting to rot. It's starting to smell. But Jesus goes and does this incredible thing, and he brings Lazarus back to life. And so the crowds are getting more and more excited about Jesus, and yet the Pharisees are getting more and more and more worked up and angry. And so kind of like a mafia family, they don't like put out a full hit order on him yet, but they really are actively looking for a way to try to kill him. Um, if they lived in this day and age, they would be put, posting it on all the social media. Twitter feeds would be blown up. Have you seen this guy? Have you seen this guy? Have you seen this guy? And so Jesus, it's not time for him to be revealed yet. And so he, um, he withdraws to this area called Ephraim with his disciples to kind of chill for a little while. And I don't know how long he's there, but at some point, he comes back to Bethany where Lazarus lived for this dinner party that's going to be thrown in his honor. And it's at that point where our story picks up. It's at that dinner party. So let's take a look at what, what happens. I'll pray and then we'll invite the spirit to work. This is John chapter 12, verse 9. It says, meanwhile, again, meanwhile at the party, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, Oh, I love you, Dad. Thank you so much for the time and your word. Thank you for this beautiful church, God. Thank you how much you love us. Uh, Father, I invite you now, please fill me with your spirit, God, in an overflowing measure. Please fill this room and this place in an overflowing measure, God. I pray you would be uh, working uh, in all of our hearts and our lives this morning to bring us closer to you, God, to glorify you more. And God, I pray in doing so, we would experience more joy. I thank you so much, Father, for that. I thank you for your goodness to us. God, help us to see what you want us to see this morning. In, in Jesus' beautiful name, amen. All right, so it starts off here, verse 9. It says, this large crowd of Jews, they find out where Jesus was there, and they come there. Not only because of him, they also want to see Lazarus. And, and then it says later, the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus. The people had heard of Jesus doing all kinds of things, but raising somebody from the dead, they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so they show up, they start gathering to see uh, Jesus and Lazarus, and I understand, I understand the curiosity. I mean, if I heard about somebody who, with a word, could bring somebody that was dead back to life, I would want to see them. A lot of you don't, a lot of you know this, but some of you may be new or newer to Grace. I am, uh, uh, I have two jobs. One of my jobs is here. My other job is I'm a nurse at one of the hospitals in town. Nurses are a weird bunch. We love to see weird stuff like that. So I would have wanted to see this dead guy brought back to life. I think most of us would want to see it, but um, I, like, one of the things I love to see is like nasty pictures. Like if you broke your leg and your femur's sticking out and you got a picture of it, I want to see that. Like, please bring it to me. I, I want to see that. Um, it's, it's cool. Uh, anyway, I wanted to see, I would, would have wanted to see Lazarus because I would have so many questions. Like, what did he look like? He had been dead and now he's alive. What did he look like? What was the color in his face like? Did it take a while for him to come, come back to like a full color or was he still pretty pale and, and gaunt looking? What did he smell like? 
had he got deodorant yet? Had he cleaned himself up? I don't know. Like all of these questions, whatever the case, the crowds are growing. The religious leaders are all worked up. They're actively trying and wanting to kill Jesus. They also want to kill Lazarus again because he already died. Look what happens the next day. It says the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. This, this huge crowd is here. I'm not even sure how big it is, but the city every single year around Passover time would swell, and it would swell by tens and tens of thousands of people um, during Passover. You can think kind of like the Sturgis motorcycle rallies. Anybody heard of that? Yeah, it's like that. We were there not for the rally, but we were on a road trip one time going through there. There was thousands and thousands and thousands of people and motorcycles everywhere. This is kind of what it would look like, but maybe a slightly different crowd that was coming for Passover. Um, <laughs> But the response to Jesus is incredible. Look what it says. It says, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him. Now, everybody is excited for this time of celebration. And like our kids this morning that were up here waving these, these palm branches, palm branches were customarily used for welcoming a king and declaring victory, often uh, uh, a time of peace after war. And so the waving of the palm branches, they were declaring this beautiful phrase over Jesus. They were saying, Hosanna. And we have been singing that and saying that all morning long. It's an incredible declaration. Sarah said earlier that it means, it means like Jesus save us, and that's true, but to fully get the flavor out, I want to dig into the word a little bit so that you can, um, you can kind of lock away what that means. Because in church, sometimes we say these sort of churchy kind of words, and it's like, well, what, what exactly does that mean? And so I want, to, I want to talk about it for a second. Hosanna isn't specifically found in the Old Testament. It's only used around six times in the New Testament. But to understand, we do have to go to the Old Testament. And to where we go for that is Psalm 118. It says this, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, for from the house of the Lord we bless you. This save us that it says there, it could also be translated save us, we pray, or save us, please save us. It's actually from two Hebrew words. The first word is this word yasha, which means to save or to deliver. And the second word is this word ana, which means please I beg you. And so the Hebrew phrase here would have been hoshi ana. And then when the Greeks translated the Bible, they literally, they transliterated this word into uh, hosanna, basically. They kept it. And so that's where we get this word hosanna. It literally means, it means save us, we're begging you. Now, I had this friend um, that I used to work with. And he lived in uh, the southern part of the United States, in Mississippi, and he lived through Hurricane Katrina. Now, Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005. It was a horrific storm, Category 5 hurricane. It killed like 1,392 people. It did somewhere between 100 and $150 billion worth of damage in the area. It was, it was horrific. But this guy that I worked with, he talked about um, living through this hurricane. He said some people survived um, because they had been in their homes and they were somewhat protected. The storm is raging and the, the main part of the storm had gone through, but then all the floodwaters were rising. And so a lot of these people were trapped inside of their homes. Some of them got, had to keep going upstairs, upstairs, and eventually made it up into their attic, but the floodwaters were still rising. He said some of these people survived by basically getting any tool, anything they could from inside of their house and punching kicking, clawing, digging, chopping, hammering from the inside of their attic outside the roof to get out onto the roof. Now picture with me for a second, if that's you, you're in your attic, the storm's raging, the waters are, are rising, and you and your family are going to die if you don't do something. And so you begin to chop and dig and claw and punch and whatever you can to get through. You get through the roof finally, and now you're on the roof, but the waters are still rising. Now imagine that you hear a motor on a boat, and you look and you see a Coast Guard boat is coming into the area. 
you are going to yell, please save us, right? You're going to beg these people to please come here. We're right here. Please come save us. Friends, that is what Hosanna is. It is begging. It's imploring. Please, we need you to save us. That is what, what this word Hosanna means. It also, it also is an acknowledgement that salvation is here. This crowd is celebrating. This crowd is rejoicing. They're waving these palm branches and they're shouting, save us, please. And they're also acknowledging the one who can save us right in front of them. Salvation is here. It's unbelievable. They're also saying something else. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel, here they're quoting Psalm 118 that we just looked at. What they're saying is, is that we recognize, Jesus, that you have come from God. Jesus, we recognize that you are God himself because who else can save? Who else can forgive? Who else can call dead people back to life but God himself? They're also saying, blessed is the king of Israel. They're saying, we submit our lives to you. They're saying, we welcome you as our king, as the ultimate authority in our lives. And indeed, Jesus is king. But he is coming into town as king in a very, very strange way. Because a king in those days that were coming into town in victory typically would be riding on a, on a stallion, on a war horse. And Jesus comes on, on a donkey. It's a very, very strange picture. Now, a couple of things. Whenever I personally read about a donkey inside of scripture, unfortunately, this is what comes into my head. <laughs> There's a picture of the donkey from Shrek. Fantastic movie. It's hilarious. This is what I think of. And, and I think the reason why I think of that is because this talking donkey in Shrek isn't the first talking donkey. The first talking donkey, donkey that we've ever heard about is actually in the Bible. It's in Numbers 22. And if you read it in the King James Version, there's this story about this guy, Balaam, who has this talking donkey. It's way more funny in the King James Version because back then they didn't use the word donkey. They had another word for donkey. I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with bass. And so this guy, Balaam, Balaam, he keeps repeatedly getting frustrated with his donkey, so he keeps repeatedly beating his, his donkey, okay? It's hilarious. At least it is to the 12-year-old that lives inside of me. <laughs> this idea that Jesus comes into town on a donkey is a crazy one. I hope I didn't ruin donkeys for you now forever inside of Scripture. It's a strange, strange, strange thought. The other Gospels actually give us a little bit better picture of this, this, what's happened here because they tell us that Jesus sent a couple of disciples into town to get the donkey and, and bring it out to them. And so um, they do. Jesus rides into town and then John reminds us of this. He says, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. These are words from the Old Testament book of Zechariah. So I want to ask this morning, do you ever look at a picture that just doesn't make any sense? That's, that's what's happening here. It just doesn't make any sense because this is strong. This is powerful Jesus. This is God came to earth as a man. This is the one who speaks in creation, has to obey. This is the Jesus that does miraculous signs and wonders. The one that with a word can call a dead guy back to life. And this King Jesus is on a donkey. It's the same King Jesus who will choose to be humbled and later arrested. It's the same King Jesus who will choose to submit to a trial and willingly be beaten beyond recognition. It's the same Jesus who will choose to lay down his life on his own accord at the hands of murderous Pharisees partnering with the ruthless Romans in the greatest act of injustice that's ever happened in the history of the world. On a blood-splattered cross, this is the same Jesus that will choose to take on the shame and the guilt and the pain of sinful humanity. This is the same Jesus who came to earth as a man. This king is on a young donkey and not on a war horse. 
The thing that I love about most about this picture is it happened exactly as it was planned, exactly as it was going, because John was quoting from Zechariah 9.9 here when he does this. And then he says this, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. It's crazy to think of what this must have been like for, for them, for the disciples. They only realized this later, what was going on. Um, if you're watching the, the streaming series, uh, The Chosen, it's fantastic. I love how they portray the disciples in there because you see the disciples' humanity in it. You get to see them look surprised and shocked and confused and excited. And you, you really see their humanity in it. Um, but it's interesting because they really are trying to figure this out in real time. They're trying to obey. They are trying to follow. They are trying to learn. They're trying to grow. Do you ever feel like that? Like, God, I don't understand what's happening. The disciples felt the same way. They were seeking God and they were seeking understanding about God. And we should do the same thing. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Look what it says the crowd's response was, though. It says the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, they went out to meet him. The crowd is also trying to figure it out, too. I love their response. They're going to see Jesus. Uh, our God can be known, and he wants to be known, and he has revealed himself to us by his beautiful word, by the power of his spirit, in the person of Jesus. Some of us here are trying to figure out who this Jesus is, and what does it mean to follow him with your life as king and savior and Lord? And so my question is, is are you, like the crowds, like the disciples, taking your questions, taking your doubts, taking your wonders and your curiosities and your fears, are you taking them to Jesus, are you coming to him to help you understand? Are you, like the crowd, going to meet with Jesus? Because not everybody does, and not everyone did. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The Pharisees are looking at the same man, the same Jesus. They're looking at the same miracles. They're looking at the same things that Jesus had taught and done and spoken and said and all that he was and all that he represented. But instead of being drawn to him, to his love and to his healing and to his hope that he's offering, they are incensed by it. They're so incensed by it that they will eventually, with the help of Rome, arrest, put him on trial, humiliate, beat him, parade him through the streets, nail him to a cross, and murder him. And it's going to look like all hope is lost. But I have a spoiler alert. It's not. All hope is not lost. So what do we do with this? Well, there's five things, five things that I want us to remember as we think about Palm Sunday. These are five things that I want to look for, and they're right from our text. The first is this, is that God fulfills all of his promises. This is exactly one of the points that Jay made last week, and we can never be reminded of this too much. Throughout human history, God has made promises and prophecies um, throughout human history, and so many have already been fulfilled, like this one. We alluded to it earlier. Let's look at it. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. I love how detailed this is because it is exactly what happened, exactly how it happened. We serve a God who always keeps his promises. Jesus fulfilled hundreds of promises, and the greatest part is there's more to come. 
There's more to come that Jesus is going to be fulfilling. Because the second thing to remember is that nothing can stop the plans of God. Nothing. In our story today, there is all this opposition from the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the political leaders of the day. They want to kill him. They want to kill Lazarus again. And in spite of this, Jesus' mission, it continues on. There's several times in the John series that we've already been studying and looking through where we see the religious leaders try to trap Jesus. They try to arrest Jesus. They try to stop Jesus. They try to silence Jesus. If Jesus were alive today, we would say they were trying to cancel Jesus. They would, they would do all they could to discredit him, which is what they were doing. They were trying to quiet the crowds, but still Jesus's influence grew. At times it looked like those who opposed to Jesus actually had the upper hand, but Jesus's plans, they still go on because nothing Nothing can stop the plans of God. This gives me great hope, church. Great hope. Because as you look around the world like I do, honestly, the world sucks. <laughs> there's, there's so much trash in the world, so much garbage in the world, so much of it. There are shifting geopolitical powers. There are wars. Here at home, the economy is iffy. Inflation is out of control. There's so much anger and hatred and fighting and division. And like in Jesus' day, there is also this rising tide of opposition to the church and to the God of the Bible and to his people and to his word. There's this rising tide of blatantly evil ideologies that are being promulgated and celebrated throughout our culture. It's absolutely awful. When I get on the news websites, when I'm looking at news feeds, I find myself angry or sad or both. This is why we need holidays. This is why we need times of the year set out that we can stop and remember that God fulfills all of his promises, that nothing can stop the plans of God. Nothing. So church, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because God's church is on the move. God's church is growing. Jesus has already conquered Satan and sin and death and the grave so you and I could have an abundant, incredible, joy-filled life in spite of the problems and the garbage that goes on around here. So, so church, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Remember this too, that God is always at work even when we don't get it. Maybe especially when we don't get it. Sometimes we can be tempted to think that maybe God has checked out or wonder, God, when the heck are you doing? Where are you? One of my favorite parts of our story from today, um, which again is clear in the other gospels, is that Jesus tells these couple of disciples, hey, go on into town and uh, get a donkey. And uh, if anybody gives you any questions about it, just tell them, hey, the Lord needs it and they'll give it to you. I mean, <laughs> put yourself in their sandals for a minute. <laughs> I mean, they're coming to town. There's all these crowds. They've seen all of these things. And Jesus is like, hey, guys, come here for a second. Hey, I want you guys to head on into town. You're going to get a donkey. <laughs> and they're like, okay. They, they just go and do it. It's absolutely incredible to me. I don't think that they had any clue what's going on. But they go, they go anyway. They simply trust that God is up to something, that God is at work, and they wanted to be a part of it, even if they didn't understand what was happening. You ever experienced something like that? Uh, recently I got the opportunity, which I've talked about here before, to go on this trip to Israel, uh, Jordan and Israel. Um, and, uh, one of my brothers invited me to go. They had already planned on going. They asked me if I would go with them. Um, and honestly, at first I was a little bit unsure because there was all these details. Um, I didn't have a passport. I needed to get a passport. I wasn't sure if I could get the time off work. It also made me a little anxious to think about going because I'm kind of a nervous traveler anyway. Um, by nervous, I mean I get stressed out and I get diarrhea, so it's, it's hard. Um, you guys are like, we're never letting a nurse up there on stage again. 
I'll leave plumbing out of it from now on, I promise. Some of you are exactly the same way, so don't pretend you're not. I know you are. Okay, so uh, one caveat to traveling, though, one caveat to going was that um, the guys I was going with, Don and Rick, they had already booked everything. Their flights were already booked and everything. I was going to be traveling completely alone. I had never been on an international flight before. I, like, I was like, I don't even know how to navigate passport controls and customs and all that. I had no idea. And so honestly, that was also kind of stressing me out. And so... Um, I, uh, I was getting ready for the trip, and one Sunday morning after, after church, um, Don comes up to me right here, and Don comes up to me, he's like, hey, Sean, he said, um, I think you're supposed to be on this trip, and I was like, wow, okay, but what, what does that mean? He's like, I don't know, I just, I think you're supposed to be on this trip, and so I began to pray, I began to ask God, is there something I'm supposed to see or do or discover or somebody I'm supposed to meet? I don't know. It still seemed like a mystery to me. I was confused. And so I went. Um, I got down to Los Angeles. I got to the, uh, to the international terminal. I finally got on the plane, and there's a giant crowd. I mean, it's a huge, huge plane, and the, the crowd's boarding, and everybody, I'm sitting there getting my stuff together, and they gave me a free blanket, which was awesome. And uh, this, this guy comes down with his wife, this young Muslim man and his wife, and they're sitting right next to me, right in my row, right next to me. And... Uh, so, you know, you're going to be on the plane for 14 hours. You want to be a little bit friendly. You want to talk to each other and stuff. So I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? And we start chatting, and uh, I ask him, you know, what kind of work he does. Where is he from? He's from the L.A. area. And he says, well, what about you? Where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Portland. He's like, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm two things. I said, I'm a pastor and I'm a nurse. He said, you're a pastor? Really? I said, yeah. He said, oh, man, that's so interesting. He starts asking me questions about my faith. We're still on the ground. Like 60 seconds into this conversation, the words of Don right here on the stage, you're supposed to be on this trip, are coming back to my mind. And I'm like, like now? Like what? (laughs) So we start having this conversation that ends up lasting like two or three hours, both on the ground and then after we take off into the air. He's telling me about his faith. He's asking me questions about mine. He's telling me stories from the Quran. I'm telling him stories from the Bible. And it goes on and on and on. And at some point, this guy, he says, yeah, I just, I really hope that, that when, I, when I die, I've done enough good things that I get to go to heaven. And I said, yeah, yeah, I think I've just, his name was Yaya. I think I have found the difference in our faith. I said, because Yaya, I don't have to wonder. I don't have to, 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 to question whether what's going to happen to me when I die. I had already shared the full gospel with him, but I told him, Yaya, I believe everybody is a sinner and separated from God. And Yaya, if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, and then trust his indwelling of his Holy Spirit, I was like, you don't have to wonder anymore. You can be 100% sure, Yaya. You can be 100% sure. That's where the conversation kind of ended. Remember, God is always at work. He was at work in me and in the life of a young Muslim man and his wife who maybe heard the gospel for the first time. This trip was incredible. It didn't make, it made no sense to me before I went. Um, I couldn't understand how or why God was sending me on this trip or what he was up to, but he used this trip. He used it to teach me, to grow me, to shape me, and it seems, anyway, that he used it to plant and water the seeds of the gospel in the heart and the life of my friend Yaya and his wife, who I still pray for today, who I still pray for today. The same is true of you, right? You're going to be at the grocery store. You're going to visit somebody in the hospital. You're going to be going to work. You're going to take a a walk in the park. Wherever it is you're at in life, God is up to something. God is doing something. God is always at work, even and maybe especially when it doesn't make any sense to you. And so my question is, are you asking the Lord by the power of his spirit to help you clearly see what he wants for you to do today? Who he wants you to serve, who he wants you to speak to, what he wants to do. I understand it's confusing. A lot of times I'm confused. A lot of times I'm like, Lord, I have no idea what to say to this person or what to do. And he's like, I know, son. (laughs) 
go do it anyway, right? That's how our God works. Because God is always at work and he somehow, he wants us to join him even when it doesn't make any sense because God also wants to use our story. And that's the next thing I want you to remember, that God will use your story. This is amazing but true that God doesn't need our help, but he wants it. God wants us to partner with him in his rescue mission for humanity. The crowds in our story today were coming to see Jesus because others had told him about things that they had seen him done, seen him do. And if you follow Jesus and you have a story to tell both about what God's done in your life, but also what you see God doing in other, li- other people's lives around you, you've got stories to tell. We know a lot of the disciples' names. We actually don't know most of the disciples' names because there were so many disciples of Jesus that followed him, the crowds that were around that we, we don't know any of their names. And the temptation for us sometimes is to think, man, I'm not trained or I don't know enough. Listen to me. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you know enough because you know your story. You can share your story with people. That's what you know. You can share how the gospel has saved you, how the gospel has changed you, how the gospel is growing and maturing and making you more and more into an image bearer of the king. God is always at work. And one of the things he loves to do is to use people's stories. So tell your story. Will you ask God this week, God, give me an opportunity to share my story of redemption with somebody else, and then will you remember to take that opportunity when it's presented to you? Be courageous. People need the hope that you have. They need it. Like I said, the world sucks. They need something. Give them the hope that they can have. Last thing that we need to remember, and this is the very most important one. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus is salvation. People in Jesus' day had been waiting for generation after generation after generation for the Messiah to come, for salvation to come. They had been longing for, looking for the Messiah. They had been crying out, Hosanna, save us. Please, God, save us for generations. My family history is one that's needed salvation, freedom from generational sin, because in my family, generation after generation after generation of my family had been locked up in a prison of addictions and sexual sin and abuse and shame and so many other things. And this is something that I inherited, that I inherited myself, these same kinds of sin. And at times in my life, I had found myself locked in the same kinds of chains around my legs, around my wrists, locked in these chains of these awful, filthy, horrific sins that only lead to death. But I can also remember being so tired of the pain and so tired of the shame and so tired of the guilt and so tired of the hurt and the problems and just so tired of all of it that I remember what it felt like to find salvation that I had longed for, that I had looked for. I found it in the person of Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection, and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And here's the most amazing thing, is I keep finding it again and again and again and again and again. Jesus is salvation. If you hear nothing else this morning, remember, Jesus is salvation. When we sing or when we say, Hosanna, we are both begging God to save us and we are declaring that salvation is here. Earlier I mentioned I would love to see a dead person brought back to life. Maybe we all would, but it occurred to me this week as I was studying that I do this regularly. Because every single time I look at my reflection in the mirror, I see a person who was dead, who is now alive. The same is true for every one of you. If you have put your faith and your hope in Jesus, 
Same is true for you. Every single time you look in the mirror, you are looking at a dead person brought back to life. Now, some of you in a room this size or in a crowd this size, um, some of you may still be outside of Jesus. Some of you may still be outside of Christ. Some of you may still have not put your life and turned your life over to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And my uh, encouragement this morning is it's time. It's time. What a better time of year to do it than at Easter you, because you can be free. You can have hope. You can have life. To get it, all you have to do is to sincerely say in your heart to God, Hosanna, God save me. Hosanna, God save me. Please come into my heart. Please come into my life. Please forgive me for my sin. Please help me obey. Please show me what it is I want to do. I want you to be the king of my life and then trust him for that and you too will be every bit as much of a miracle, perhaps even more so as Lazarus coming out of the tomb. You will be that much of a miracle because you will have been dead and you will have now been brought back to life. I need to calm down. <laughs> All right, listen, we're gonna... We're going we're gonna to celebrate communion now, all right? So if you uh, are on the communion serving team, please come up. Worship team, come on up here. Um, listen, all morning long, we have been talking about uh, remembering. Um, and that's what communion is really all about. It's about a time to remember. It's about a time to uh, declare. What we're doing when we're celebrating communion is we are remembering what Jesus did a couple of thousand years ago on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension, and then the sending of his spirit. We are acknowledging and, and seeing what is it, it is that Jesus is doing right now in our lives. We are also declaring and proclaiming what he will do one day when he comes back for us. And it's going to be an amazing, amazing day. And so what I want to do this morning is I want you to come forward. I want you to take these elements. The broken cracker, the broken bread, it represents Jesus' body broken on the cross. The juice represents his blood spilled for you for the forgiveness of your sins. I want you to take these elements back to your seat. Maybe you spent some time remembering this morning what God saved you from. Maybe you spend some time thanking him. Maybe you spend some time worshiping him that way. And then I'll come back up and I'll lead us through taking the, the meal together as family. All right, let's worship. Communion is a, uh, it's a special time. It's a special time. Because of all it means, all that we're remembering, all that we're celebrating, and all that we're declaring. The Apostle Paul, when he was teaching the Corinthian church about communion, he says this in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had broke it, he had given thanks and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Father, um, such a simple meal. But wow, is it good to be together as family. Thank you, Lord, for all the things you reminded us of this morning. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your spirit that's here. God, thank you for how that you are on the move, that your, your plans can't be thwarted. God, thank you for your love and your grace for us. God, I pray for everybody here that, God, they would remember. God, as they go throughout the week here, they would remember, um, God, all that you mean to us. And 
Um, God, I pray that you would be pleased by our worship now. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, that's good. That's good. We've been talking all morning about uh, remembering, and we have been remembering well. I uh, would like us, though, now to look forward, because it was a strange picture, this King Jesus coming to town on a donkey. A king should come on a war horse, and our warrior king will come back for us one day on a war horse. We read about it in Revelation 19. It says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are blazing like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And here's what he's bringing over in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth, or excuse me, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or painful. The old order of things has passed away. Church, that's our future. That's our hope. That's why we celebrate. That's that's what we look forward to. So remember and look forward and honor him with your lives. I love you so much, Grace. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.